person, a codename, a mystery, it's all of these and more. We are the SpyFi Guys, and this is Topaz. Hello and welcome back to the SpyFi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And this is the first episode of our Cold War spy series, where we will be discussing... Early 60s period. Actually, a lot of these will have to do with the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's correct. So today we're starting with Topaz, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, who I love. Yeah, is, is this our first Hitchcock film? Yes. Ooh, it is. All right. And it, well, Hitchcock has a number of different uh, spy movies, including, of course, North by Northwest and Notorious. And we'll cover those later. But this is one that I hadn't really known about. We were looking for something that was set around the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's right. And I think it's from the later part of his career. Uh, it's from uh, 1969. Yeah. That's right. Well, mostly because it's in college. Also, it's based on a novel by Leon Uris, who I also like. So this is an interesting one because it's it falls into I think it's the first word sort of falls onto our everything in between category. So this is based on the novel, and the novel was based on true events. So it's not quite fact, not quite fiction. Quite claimed to be fact. Though. <laughs> well, it says, oh well, yeah, you're right. It does right? It, in the beginning. It doesn't say that based on a true story. It says based on the novel, but the novel is based on real events. So that's why I said it's that in between. Exactly. Well, I think if you watch the movie without knowing any of the background, you would think it's all fiction. Yeah, we, I've got some interesting stuff in our first spy fact versus spy fiction, but shall we get into it? I have one quick thing to say about it is that it's like Rogue One. Oh, interesting. Okay? Where we know that the Americans find out about the missiles in Cuba, but uh, they know uh, how uh, they do it. Ah, all right. All right. I, I like that comparison. That's a pretty good one. Here is the IMDb entry. A French intelligence agent becomes embroiled in the Cold War politics, first with uncovering the events leading up to the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, and then back to France to break up an international Russian spy ring. All right, so we start off in Russia, and it's, I think this is Red Square, but it's like big military parade. This is where we get based on the novels. So like we said earlier, it doesn't, say, it's not, doesn't claim to be based on a true story. But I feel like at the time, because the novel came out in, what, 1967? So the novel mm -hmm. was popular that probably at that time they didn't need to say based on the novel, which is based on a true story. And then they have the words on screen. Somewhere in the crowd is a high Russian official who disagrees with his government's display of force and what it threatens. Very soon, his conscience will force him to, to attempt an escape while apparently on vacation with his family. And he'll do it via stealing a submarine. Oh, wait, that was the other one. <laughs> uh, sadly, no. So we go to Copenhagen, 1962. It looks like it's like the Soviet residence or Soviet embassy. There's a big Soviet flag in the front of the building. We see a man's face in a mirror, very like eerie seeming. There's a family exiting the residence, and then that man follows them, is joined by a few others who are tailing them. The family is walking around. They like look like they're going to get on a, a bus at a bus depot, but they're just using it to do some evasion tactics. I think they lose the tails. The family goes off on a tour of a factory of ceramic figurines, which apparently is a big thing in Copenhagen. So this reminds me of when I went on a chocolate factory tour here in Washington, <laughs> D.C. Uh, one in Noma. Uh -huh. About five people work there, including the receptionist. So it's mostly <laughs> done via machine. So that was interesting. It's pretty much all conveyor belt. But when it was over, I asked the owner, how often do you hear Willy Wonka jokes? And he said, every day. 
I can imagine. <laughs> um, they think they've lost the tails, but unfortunately, the daughter spots the main guy who is tailing them, and then spots the rest of them. So they split up. The daughter goes into the gift shop, full of like finished ceramics, and purposefully drops one of the figurines and goes picks up the pieces, goes to bring it to you know the the cashier and says, you know, can I pay for this? And then asks to use the phone. Calls the U.S. Embassy, and I like that she purpose she has this idea of, oh, I'm gonna do this to make to cause attention, draw attention to me, so that my parents can get away. Oh, was that what was going on? Yeah, that's what was going on. It's not just that she drops it; she's purposely doing this so she could cause a distraction and also use that distraction to call the U.S. Embassy because they know she right. knows. So the daughter knows what's going on, which I liked is that well, she's not just clueless about it. Yeah, I also thought that she dropped the figurine so she has an excuse to go talk to the receptionist. Yeah, that too. Yeah, but also, yeah, she's using use a distraction, use it to talk to receptionist, use it to use the phone. The daughter's a smart cookie, seemingly. And so they set up a meet somewhere else at a department store, and, you know, they're tailing them for a while in the department store, but someone, I don't know who, maybe it's the daughter again, because she's pretty smart, uses it to mm. you, you fire alarm, and you, you know, everyone comes out of there, and there are American agents outside of there who are, like, stopping the tails, coming after them. The, the husband and wife get into the car, but the daughter gets hit by a bicycler, uh, but they eventually get away and they get into a plane and go arrive in D.C. So this is like Alfred Hitchcock building up tension, which I know he loves doing that. He yeah, loves it was suspense. effective. I liked it. Yeah. So when we get off, they get off the plane in the in the U.S., we find out what their names are, which we didn't know by this point. It's uh, Mr. and Mrs. Kusinov, the daughter's Tamara. Mm -hmm. They do go for a drive through D.C., go past the Capitol, the White House, go through all that roundabout at Arlington Cemetery, which I recognize. And then they go into rural Virginia to a safe house. Yes. And they have these, they go through debriefings. And then we cut to the French embassy in uh, D.C. And we, this is where we first meet Andre Devereaux, who is pretty much our main character. Yes, our actual main character. Yeah. If you thought this family was the main characters, <laughs> you'd be mistaken. Yeah. So uh, at the embassy, we find out that the French know that the uh, high Russian official has defected to the U.S. And Devereaux asks her important question of, all right, why did Moscow tell Paris? And they're like, I don't know. It's not our place to ask questions. Yeah, exactly. And she's like, how did they know? And it's like, well, uh, they're a spy agency. It's their job to know. <laughs> So, yeah, so, but Paris wants him to find out where they're keeping the Kusinovs. And again, Devereaux's like, why? What are they going to do with that information? Back at the safe house, we find out that Boris Kusinov is an authority on NATO. Americans want to know what he's seen. He's seen a lot of things go past his desk. And so, I like this part. They have a bunch of files that they give him. It's like, I was like, all right, mm. just tell us ones you've seen and he's like all right this one this one this one the reason are fakes and this is foolish why are you trying to trip me up with fakes it's like come on dude you know why in case you're lying <laughs> so he was a deputy chief of the cia and he and they're like all right you need to tell us what you know and he's like i i didn't say i would give you anything for sanctuary i just asked for sanctuary and, they, and they're like you know how the game works it comes off as real abrasive <laughs> he does but i mean he's if he's that high up in the kgb and he knows a lot. Mm. He knows his value and his worth. So, yeah, he's going to play games. And so the, one of the main people interrogating him is Mike Nordstrom, who's from the CIA. And Nordstrom knows Devereaux and says, 
and Devro, you know, calls up Nordstrom, says, "I want to have dinner," which Nordstrom finds weird because they've only, you know, they had dinner only two nights ago. Yeah, it's not a social call. No, so he knows his business. So mm-hmm. Devro comes back to his house, tells his wife very last minute that they're having Mike over, and she's like, "I wish you had told me." And uh, the wife and him, Nicole, his wife, Devereaux's wife, wishes he was like had a foreign office posting or something back in Paris. She doesn't want to be in America anymore, and she doesn't want him to be in Intel anymore. Well, it's sort of like the breach thing, where the wife or the significant other, I mean, in both of these cases, it's wives, but it's still yeah. applicable, yeah. is like, you knew what you signed up for. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, it's probably safe to say he's been doing this job for a while. Yeah, but I guess yeah, it's it like, like eventually it. you just can't take it anymore. Yeah, it could it could have just been like you said the tension that's been building for years. Mm-hmm. She's like, I can't make another pot roast for another <laughs> one of your spy friends. Oh, specifically, I'm American spy friend. Yes, I I didn't catch what the French dish was, and now I'm, I want to go back and find out because I'm like, oh, it was probably something delicious. I'm sure. Anyway, so we don't actually see the dinner; we just see them having coffee afterwards where it's mm-hmm. Nicole, Devereaux, and Nordstrom talking. And I like this bit. There's a rifle on the wall, and Nordstrom's asking, like, why do you keep a, this rifle on the wall? And we find out that Nicole used it as part of the French resistance during the war. Like, wow, that was unexpected. It's even more unexpected that she got to keep it. Yeah. Nicole leaves them to talk, and they have some, uh, some brandy or some cognac afterwards. We find out that Devereaux is asking about the defectors. Nordstrom says, I'll tell you what you want to know. You just can't tell Paris. Which, of course, is exactly what he needs. But apparently, like, they've worked a lot together. They've done stuff for each other that spies wouldn't necessarily do for their allies, apparently. You go back to the safe house. Boris is upset. He doesn't want to betray his country. Also, there's weirdly sculptures of all of their faces. Do you know what that was about? I thought they were wigs for new hair. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. That could have been. I was like... Are they going to pull, like, Mission Impossible-style masks? Is that what's going on? I didn't really know. Yeah, you don't really get a good look at the sculptures. I couldn't tell whether it was exactly their faces or it just kind of looked like them. So Nordstrom says that, you know, if you if you give me everything you know, we'll set you up with new identities, we'll protect you. Tamara will get, like, a full scholarship to any musical school she wants. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, we'll set you up with new identities, we'll get, take you to wherever you want to go. But after a month, you're on your own. So it's either be yeah. protected or be off on your own where the KGB could come after you. Yeah. Either help us or you get burn noticed. Yeah. So Boris decides, all right, fine. I'll go back in and I'll tell you. And what they want to know is about Cuba. Because remember, this is 1962. And like and we said Americans. at the time, a lot of this is going to have to do, a lot of this series is going to have to do with the Cuban Missile Crisis. So. He says there are Russian technicians, about 5,000 of them in Cuba, construction, electronics experts, who are bearing gifts from Russia to Cuba. But he doesn't know all the details, because apparently, because smartfully, or rightfully so, the KGB is segmented, so not everyone knows everything. But even though he doesn't know everything, he, he knows where they can find the intel. That's right. And there's a man in Cuba, Rico Para, who is part of the Russian, or sorry, a part of the Cuban government, had meetings in Moscow and New York recently. He knows about an agreement between Cuba and Russia. He didn't want to ask, but the problem is he hates Americans. He won't talk to any American. But his secretary or his aide 
Luis Uribe might be able to be used. But he okay. also hates us. Yeah. That's right. Actually, so the problem yeah. is these guys hate Americans. So what should make more sense? You get an American to do it and not tell the truth about being an American, or you get some other French guy to do it. Well, clearly, I don't know. Here's the thing, though. And I'm, and maybe maybe spies, well, within this world, seemingly, it's pretty easy to tell Americans. <laughs> Even I though they're supposed that. to be spies. So there are some movies where the premise of the movie only makes sense because it's a movie and you just have to accept that unusual premise if you want to enjoy the movie. This may be one of those. I can't <laughs> think of any other examples right now. Anyway, so the deal is going to be that Devereaux is going to help Nordstrom out by getting this information from, from Uribe. Mm -hmm. And so it just so happens that Devereaux's daughter and her husband are arriving in in New York City for, I think it's supposed to be their honeymoon, actually. Okay. But, and um, friends, th their names, I like, it's Picard. Wondering if uh, they're descendant or, or ancestors of a certain Jean-Luc. <laughs> go work it in pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a common enough name, though. Um, mm -hmm. But he is a journalist, and he has been doing uh, interviewing people at the UN, so they have an in at the UN already. Mm -hmm. So they go back to their hotel room, and Nordstrom's there. And actually, it's not until this moment that Nordstrom asks Devereaux to help him out. And of course, right. Nicole's pit. This is supposed to be their time off, time away, just spending time with their daughter and her husband. I think we all kind of first saw, though, that when they said that he hates Americans, yeah. that Andre was going to get called in. Even I could pick up on that. <laughs> and apparently, so one of, what's his name? Francois Picard's specialties is that when he's interviewing people, he does sketches of them. So he actually did a sketch of Uribe. Mm -hmm. And so he the sketch, and then Devereaux goes to see one of his contacts in New York, who's Dubois, who owns a flower yeah. shop. And I thought this was interesting. Okay. And so like, I, I like, so he talks to... Dubois gives him the information. Let's not talk out here in the open. Can we do your office? No. Let's go into the cooler where all the flowers are kept. And we don't get audio from this. We just see them talking. I was like, ooh, that's Hitchcock right there. That's building that suspense. Like, we know what's what's going to be said. And we don't need to necessarily have that information sent to us again, which I know you hate. I do hate it. And they do it a lot in this movie. They do. But also, they do stuff where we don't necessarily need to see and to hear it. We can just see it. And we know what they're talking right. about. Right. On the other hand, with these spy movies, if they don't keep the audience updated about what's going on, it's pretty easy to get lost, especially these <laughs> old ones. Devereaux gives Dubois information and the sketch, tells him what he needs to know. Dubois is going to pose as a journalist from, uh, what was it, Ebony magazine. Mm -hmm. So they go uh, very conveniently right around the corner is where the uh, Dubois flower shop is where all the Cubans are staying at the, uh, what was it? Oh, what the was... name. I have Hotel it. Teresa. Hotel Teresa. Yeah. yeah. And we get a uh -huh. brief shot of Michelle, Francois, and Nicole waiting for Devereaux at the restaurant, which he doesn't show up to. <laughs> but anyway, so Dubois is talking to Uribe downstairs, outside. Devereaux is watching as the whole thing, interaction's going on. And on and on. It's Hitchcock. It's building the tension again. And so Dubois gets up to the Cuban's floor, finds Uribe up there again. And there's some commotion outside of Para's door because Para won't won't talk to these two men. And we find out later that their idea to show that the Americans that they weren't afraid was to blow up the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Upstairs hallway. Yeah. 
it's like crammed full of all these random people, like cops, Cubans, all women, Cubans. men. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, they're all Cubans, but like, why are they all hanging out inside of his door? I assume that that's like the floor that was set up for the Cuban delegation. Okay. It's like a dorm room uh, hallway. <laughs> Uribe and Dubois figure out that the papers are in a red briefcase in Para's office. Mm-hmm. So they step away. So Dubois is going to distract Para by interviewing him, taking taking photos of him, while Uribe sneaks out the briefcase. The quick thing yeah. to say about Dubois, which is like this part of the movie is like all about him. Why couldn't the whole movie have been about him? So <laughs> I, I admit it is very realistic that our main characters have context and the context to all the crazy I mean, yeah, that's stuff. very realistic. Like your, your average spy mm. doesn't actually do all that stuff. They have someone else to do it for them. Yes, but it is very different from most movies that you would expect and movies we've done. Yeah, very true. It would be like in Munich if Avner hired some French guy and the French guy went and did all the assassination. <laughs> well, I mean, if we go back to Munich, he did hire someone to do all the intel work for it. Right. That's true. I like that at one point when Dubois ref- or is trying to get him to get Parr to be interviewed and Parr is like refusing. He plays the race cards. Like, are you, are you anti-black? Yeah. It's like, what? You don't want me to interview you? You don't like black people or something? Also, Rico looks like Fidel Castro. He does. So it's and- to do that. Every time you have a Cuban guy, you have the beard, the hat, the cigar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, so... As they're taking photos, I think it looks like a very tiny camera. I was wondering if it was like a Minox camera. It didn't look quite like one. Maybe it was supposed to be, though. They do comment about how small and cute it is. Yeah. But I don't think it's a Minox one. I think it's a little bit more professional than that. More civilian one than that. Okay, I was like, professional? Like, Minox is reused by, like, most spies. But you're right, more civilian. I can see that. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so... He's distracting him outside, like has Para waving to like the civet to the crowd. Mm-hmm. And Uribe sneaks the case out and goes out the door. So I was a little confused here because I thought that their like Uribe's room was one floor down because uh Dubois pops out of the stairwell. But no, he went down the elevator, down one floor, and then went up the stairway back up to to his room. Yes. This part was ridiculous. <laughs> that they take the case with these classified documents, but they take yeah. so long that, that Rico notices. And then it turns out that it's like four doors down is where they're yeah, hiding. Yeah. That's why I thought it was one floor down. Like that makes more sense, but no, apparently it's the same floor. Anyway, so yeah, so Rico, or not Rico. Yes, Para, Rico Para. Mm-hmm. He notices that the case is missing. Well, I th- like I thought he noticed it sooner because he like looks at that ca- where the case was multiple times. Yeah, he's like and an idiot. Yeah, and also like I thought that he, like he has papers all around. He's looking for a specific paper. There's one paper that's underneath a burger with like oil stains on. And I was like, is that the paper <laughs> for me? I was like thinking, oh god, is that the paper that they actually needed? No, it wasn't. It was just a distraction. Oh. So like, Hitchcock is good at like throwing you off. Yeah, that would have been a good twist if the one that was burgered was the one they needed. <laughs> But anyways, eventually he realizes that the case is missing and his uh, one of his other aides says, oh yeah, Uribe took it. He's like, why would he take it? I have the only key. And so they go over to Uribe's room and the door's locked. They're like busted open and they catch Uribe and Dubois in the middle of like photographing all the documents. And Dubois like jumps out the window and yeah. lands on a, in a canopy. Yeah. 
This is great. This is the best part of the movie. (laughs) But I just don't understand what their plan was. So Uribe takes it, and then he's going to put it back. Like, Rigo's not going to notice that it's been gone? Yeah, I mean, or... Or he didn't have a plan, and it was really just, all right, all I need is to get the documents. It's all on you to get it back. Well, also, did they explain what Uribe's, like, motivation was for doing this? Were they just paying him? Money, yeah. Well, they've said earlier that Uribe can be bought. Like, Devereaux's done it before. Yeah, they better give him a lot of money for this crappy plan. (laughs) They shoot at Dubois as as he, like, escapes chase after him and they do a really smooth brush pass where he passes the camera onto Devereaux by like knocking into him knocking him to the floor as if he was just a civilian who was there oh okay so I I misunderstood this part I didn't understand it the first time I watched it so Devereaux gets knocked over and then the the bearded Cuban guy is like hey buddy sorry buddy you okay and it's very ironic and then he has the camera. So I was like, wait, 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 did the Cuban guy give him the camera? No, like, no, it's Dubois. Dubois, when he like knocked into him, brushed him okay. the camera. Yeah, that would work. Anyway, so back at Devro's house, he's packing up for a trip to Cuba. Nicole doesn't want him to go. Mm-hmm. But apparently Americans have no agents there since the Bay of Pigs. Right. He says he has to go because he's scared of what the papers that, that they photographed said. He doesn't say mm-hmm. what they said, but he's scared by it. And Nicole says, oh, well, there's a, isn't there a, don't you have a woman in Cuba, Juanita de Cardoba? And yes. he's like, no, she's just, you know, she's just the head of an intel network. But we find out later, there's a bit more to it. We find out later that she's 100% right and that he is cheating on her. <laughs> yeah, that's his mistress. Yeah. Which I was not expecting at all. Really? I nope. kind of nope. Not even a little bit. Because these movies, like having our heroes be morally you know, uprighteous or whatever. And if they're not, then they, it's some kind of fatal flaw that comes back to bite them later. Unless it's James Bond. doesn't happen. Well, fatal flaw <laughs> kind of depends on your perspective. James Bond's not married, so he can't cheat on his wife. Yeah, but he cheats on, but all the, a lot of his women are married and they cheat on their husbands. In that case, they're the ones who are being immoral and then it's totally fine when they get killed. Again, this is like movie maker oh, logic. Ouch. This is movie maker logic. I'm not saying it's true. All right, all right. Just, just to be clear, we are not advocating just, for yes, no. But it's that. like the horror. You know, we're in the Halloween season. Halloween just finished. Where the slasher movies from the '80s, where the promiscuous teens are the ones who get killed. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, I, I see what you're I, saying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will say maybe, the, and I, I don't want to stereotype French people, but there's the stereotype that French have mistresses or. My understanding is that in France, it's more cultural. And I guess it's like expected that men in high level positions will have mistresses. That's what I was wondering. Like, I didn't want to stereotype the French. And then, so I was like, oh, of course he has a mistress. But then I was like, but the wife seems pretty upset about it. So I don't know. If you're from France and you have a mistress, write into the Spy Fi guys and tell us about it. <laughs> so we meet Juanita. She's played by Karen Dorr, who was a Bond girl. Uh, oh, Yeah. Twice. Nice. What's her name? Helga Grant. She is also German, like, and in brown face. Yeah, yeah, I suspected that was what was going most on. Most of, like, I looked through the cast list, and most of the people who are supposed to be Cuban are, like, Europeans in brown face, except for I mean, potentially, like, one or two. Yeah, that's pretty normal for the time, unfortunately. Unfortunate and terrible, but yeah. Not only is Juanita there, but also Rico Parra is there. Mm hmm. And we find out that there's a rally that's going to be there tomorrow and Castro will be there, which answers my question. Cause I wasn't, I was wondering, is Rico Para 
a stand-in for Castro. But no, he's not. He's just another government official. Who happens to look very, very similar to Castro, I guess. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, there's a, that is a thing in like these... seems like to be a thing in communist cultures where if your leader has a very distinct look, people emulate mm. that. Well, it's also 1962. JFK didn't wear a hat, and then nobody wore a hat. I don't know. Is that really true, that thing about him not wearing a hat his inauguration and then no one else afterwards? I don't... That's what I, I heard. I feel like that's like an urban legend, but I don't know. Anyways... Mm. We find out that well, yeah, Juanita, yeah, she's Devereaux's mistress, and also yeah, is a he- is head of one of the organiz- uh, organizations there. But right. like he, Devereaux couldn't have come at a worse time. The island is crawling with Russians, and most of her agents are in hiding. But he says mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. I need to know what kind of missiles they're bringing in. I need to know where their launch sites are. Um, I need to. We need to be watching the port San Cristo, San Cristano. Right. And so he has a like this present for Juanita. And she's like, all right, let's open the present. Surprise, it's not actually gifts for her. It's a Geiger counter with a tape recorder, a camera with a remote control. So he says, all right, I need to know what units of Soviet troops are out there, which aircrafts have been landing. I need to know about these caves. But yeah, like, there bam, is bam, actually bam. a present for her. There's a purse. Mm-hmm. It looks like a nice purse, a little clutch. Right. And they show up, like, testing out the Geiger counter. Uh, they put it next to a glow-in-the-dark clock, which apparently the radium, which is in the time was used to make things glow-in-the-dark, activates because it's lightly irradiated, which yes. may or may not come back in the movie we, we cover in two weeks. We see next see Juanita working with her team. They have the gadgets hidden in various food items, mostly sandwiches in a picnic basket. Yeah, I like the joke where it's like, don't eat the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so we have two of her agents who are like a married older couple watching the port with their picnic basket. But they get spotted by the... Uh, we can't, Actually, I couldn't tell if they were the Russians who spot them or the Cubans, but someone spots mm, them. Yes. And so they run away, and then they like p- pretend that their car broke down, and there's, oh yeah, we saw another couple go past in a car. And they almost get away with it, except the woman's arm is bleeding. And they see yeah, the blood. Like profusely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I I didn't really catch that they like got fired upon. I like might, may have missed that. Did you see the catch that they were? Fired? Okay. So I just missed that. Yeah. Okay. Right. So okay. they were like running away, and the two Cuban soldiers like shot at them. Okay. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So because of that blood, they get caught, and they get taken away in another car. I like this shot. So, like, the car drives away, and we get the shot of the car. We, we, the camera stays still, and the car drives away. And the camera lingers, like, all right, what's going on? And then it tur- just pans slowly over. There's a man on a horse. I don't know if we've seen him before, but nope. there's a man on a horse who's, like, just slowly coming up to the railing where they were and opens it, opens up, like, the end of the railing, and it's a dead drop, and the camera and the lens are there. So at least they didn't get caught with those things. Yeah, so they had, like, a plan in case they're... Yeah, they got they're spotted, good spies. Which is pretty yeah. black. Once again, they're better spies than their like handlers. The people come up <laughs> coming up with the plan. Uh, anyway, so the camera and the lens get sent back to a lab, which is in Juanita's house, inside of a chicken. Mm. Like, there's a whole operation, which I'm like, I was impressed by this. So the ca- the camera gets sent to a poultry place, and then someone goes and mm. picks up the camera, which is inside the chicken, and then they bring it back, and then they go and develop the photos. Yes. So next we go to the Castro rally, where there's a ton of people. Devereaux's there in the crowd. Castro is there. 
was this actually like footage of Castro? I don't think so. Okay, I wasn't sure because it looked like that grain of quality that you might have got from real footage. Could be. I don't know. So Juanita is there next to Para again, answering my question of is Castro Para or is it just another person? Mm. But Para's aide, who's not yeah. uh, Ribe, has like bright no. red hair. Yeah. What was with that? I don't know. <laughs> I thought I was like. Was it just a distinctive look that they said, all right, we like this actor, we're going to go with him? Or maybe like they filmed it and they thought it was going to be in black and white so it wouldn't matter what color his hair was? I don't know. Anybody that's not a white guy in a suit with brown hair, I was very happy to see. Because you can actually tell who they are. Yeah, all right. But how many Cubans have red hair? That's my question. That's a good question that I don't know. Maybe some Irish people immigrated there at some point. Anyways, so he was the one who helped up Devereaux yes. outside of Hotel uh, Teresa. He sees Devereaux in the crowd and recognizes him and points him out to Para and says, there was a guy who got knocked over, a Frenchman who was outside, and he recognized he was French right. too. So that's what set off his suspicions. Yeah, and, so and now it's him. like, what? Suddenly he's here, like it's like a weird coincidence? Yeah. So a more cynical me might say, it's totally ridiculous that he remembers this guy from seeing him once in the middle of like an altercation, but I'm not going to press the point because if his job is security, his job is to like yeah. remember people. Mm-hmm. And also so like that it. is a big event, like those things getting stolen. So of course he's going to try to remember everything that happened that night. And he probably had to like write down every detail of that in reports to say what happened. So I, yep. I believe I, I was not like, oh, why would he recognize him? I'm like, oh, he's good if he recognizes him. I was like, you're, you're good at your job for once. Sometimes you get these hench, like aides and henchmen who are like terrible at their jobs. Like, yeah, I, going back to yeah. when the case got stolen, I was like, oh, did that secretary just not notice it being stolen? I was like, oh, no, he knows exactly who took it. So He yeah. didn't do anything. I'm looking forward to Andre fist fighting this guy on the top deck of a battleship. Oh, wait, <laughs> it's not that kind of movie. Not that kind of movie. So we next go to Para confronting Devro and Juanita. Juanita and Devro are having dinner, and he just sort of barges into their place and says he mm-hmm. came from interrogating his former secretary, Uribe, who is now dead. Yes. And Uribe confessed to working for the French. He confronts Devro for uh, about being outside the hotel, and Devro says, yep. Yes, I was I was there. I was watching your your show that you were putting on. He recovers but, pretty well from yeah. this uh, interrogation. Confrontation, yeah. One thing I wanted to say that we kind of glossed over is that it turns out Juanita and Andre are sleeping together. Oh, we did we not? I thought we, we, oh, well, I th- yeah, I thought we established that. Uh, yeah, they are. And then the part where they're having dinner and he like has his shirt off is like just so strange. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the only one who found it strange, but yeah. whatever. Well, I think it was more of a what they could show... They couldn't explicitly say, uh, have them having sex, but they could imply afterwards that they had just had sex. Anyway, so, Para confronts Devro and says that if not for Juanita and her influence, they could mm-hmm. make him disappear and he'd never be found. And apparently, like, Juanita is the widow of, like, a national hero. That's why she's so protected. And that's why she's okay. able to get away with all the stuff that she has. Because she's protected. Yes. Mm-hmm. But Para says he wants him out of Cuba tomorrow morning, and he'll be searched at the airport for any intelligence that he may have gathered. Like, they're going to go through everything. And Juanita's, like, rebukes him and says, you know, you know I'm, I have power. I can make your life miserable. He's my guest. Mm-hmm. He'll leave whenever he wants to. 
Yeah. And the next morning, Devro is all packed up. Juanita yes. brings one or one of Juanita's agents, Tomas, comes by with a typewriter that has all the intel hidden inside it. I like this. They used a, there was a micro dot on the period yes. of the typewriter, and they had intel like hidden inside one of the spools, like at the very center. So they'd have to take apart the entire spool of uh, ink to get to it. I was like, oh, that's pretty clever. And he also yeah. says uh, there's going to be a hidden intel in the razor blades. Mm. And Juanita, you know, gives him a book to read on the plane. He says, don't open it now. You can open it later. And they say goodbye in the room, not at the door. Because she doesn't want, she, you know, doesn't want to have an emotional goodbye at the door where people might see it. Yeah. So, okay. So in this part, is he trying yep. to get her to come with him? No, no. Well, maybe. Okay. Well, what he says is that if you're in too much trouble, we'll get you out of here. I have my ways. Which, yeah. I mean, would make things complicated if he was going to bring her back to the U.S. or France, so this is, since he has right. a wife. Well, that was my question, is when he, when he leaves, she's, like, crying and crying and crying, like, she seems to really like him, but they can't yeah. have a few together for many reasons. I it's mean, I'm not, we're not going to go into the details of why having a mistress doesn't work. <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't. It's not just the mistress thing. It's that they live in separate countries and they have different jobs and, and all that, but whatever. The heart yeah. wants what the heart wants. That, that Hitchcock's a real romantic. <laughs> Juanita also tells Devereaux to call her from the airport before he's about to get in the plane. She apparently has something to tell him. So right afterwards, we go to a scene in like a prison and the two older Cubans who were Juanita's agents, I thought they were dead at first because they're like all bloodied up and looking yeah, pretty intense. terrible. Mm -hmm. And Para's there and he arrives and he's like asking who they worked for. And very, like, softly, the woman, like, tells him that they worked for Juanita. And he's, yes. like, so stone-faced angry, like, but also maybe, like, sad. Yeah, disappointed. But I'm sure yeah. he must have suspected it. I, I don't think and he did. I think he did not suspect it, which is why he was so angry. Uh, okay. I mean, you could go either way. But once again, we have two more examples of brave freedom-loving, heroic underlings getting screwed over by their incompetent leadership. And, well, okay, what could Juanita have done in this case? Had a better plan. I don't think it was a terrible uh, plan. I think it was like, okay, so first of all, they had a, an excuse of why they were out there. They had a picnic basket. They also even had an excuse for if they got caught, what to pose as. They had a good plan for what to do with Intel if they, so they wouldn't get caught with it. I think it was a good plan. It's just they were unlucky. Fair. So maybe the plan was okay, but yeah. we still have these underlings as... You know the expression from Firefly, a hero is someone who gets other people killed? <laughs> That's this movie. I appreciate it for, you know, like, because this is in, this came out in 1969. It's set in 1962. Mm. This is the height of Bond fever, basically, or Bond mania. Mm. And they portray the intelligence seemingly realistic. Like, you sure. have agents who will who are working, who get killed, you don't have the main hero doing all the intel work. So, yes. I, I appreciated that. Like, even though I love Bond, I, I, I acknowledge that it's not realistic. Mm, no way. But we'll talk more about that next week. Once Para finds out that Juanita is the head of that spy ring, we, uh, he goes and gets a bunch of soldiers to search the house. Mm -hmm. They find the photo lab. From the photo lab, they have evidence of where the documents might be held. Like, they find the evidence about the razor blades. Yes. And so they have one of his guys, or one of Para's guys, calling the airport saying, you know, search search him, look for the razor blades. There's, they would be in there. 
Mm. But twist, they're not. There's nothing in the razor blades, but razor blades. But there's inside uh, the razor blades. That's right. No, not no. There was nothing there. So this is a misdirect. Yeah, it was a misdirect. And then, so apparently, because they couldn't find anything on Devereaux, they let him go. And at this mm. point, Para is tells Juanita that you're going to be tortured and ex- interrogated, and we're going to get everything we can out of you. So there's this hint this whole time that Para has been interested in Juanita. And so he's like, they're going to do things to your body. This body. And then he kills her. He shoots her with his gun, like, point-blank range and kills her. So I'm like, all right. The, was that like a mercy kill? Was that I a think so. Was it what was it? Well, I sort of got the impression that he was like giving her an out, and she was kind of letting him take the way out. Also, there's a part right before they grab her where she like pushes a soldier down the stairs. I was oh, like, yeah. how strong? <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. Also, the shooting felt very Hitchcock because like the 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 face reactions. Yeah. Like the big yeah. Like, and then like there's the body and the pot and the like pool of blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But Devereaux calls the calls the house, and the same soldier answers and says, "Oh no, there's been an incident. She's dead." I was like, "Wow." I was a little disappointed that you didn't get the other side of the reaction on his end. But yeah, it was a little odd. So we cut to Devereaux on the plane. He's clearly upset about Juanita's death. Yes. And he goes to and open like, the book uh, that Juanita gave him. And there's an inscription like, with all my love, Juanita. And he's sad. And then he like feels like, because this is a hardcover book. He feels the lining of the book. He's like, hmm, that's interesting. There's something there. Goes to the bathroom and like wets the paper, pull, peels off the lining. And the negatives are there. So the negatives were never in the razor, but they were there. I guess he's like, I better get rid of this with all my love thing before my wife sees it. <laughs> also, I'm like, okay, so they got to Cuba. They got the pictures. The world's going to yeah. know about the world. The movie's over. Mission accomplished. <laughs> no. Unfortunately not. But this next I'm part sure. is very slow. But it was interesting. I thought it was interesting. So, yeah, we get back at home. The mail is all piled up behind the door at Devereaux's place. Apparently, Nicole has gone back to Paris. Yes. And Nordstrom she's is... left. Yeah, she's left him. Well, we find out later that she's left him. Nordstrom's with Devereaux and had brought him from the airport. As they're talking, someone in a very official-looking car comes in. This is Rene Darcy, who I think is, like, the ambassador or something in the ambassador's office, a uh, French mm-hmm. ambassador's office. Yep. Speaks to Devereaux alone. Darcy knows that Devereaux has done something for the Americans. Uh, and Cuba has objected to Devereaux's actions. And thus Paris has recalled him back immediately. And there'll be a board of inquiry. Once Darcy leaves, Devereaux tells Nordstrom what happened. And apparently the intel that Devereaux gave Nordstrom has confirmed what they've got from other intelligence sources about the, uh, the missiles in Cuba. Yes. Including the U-2 photos. Mm-hmm. And Nordstrom, and we'll talk more about the U-2 in two weeks. Or two episodes, rather. Yes. So Nordstrom wants Devereaux to keep his eyes and ears open during the Board of Inquiry. Because apparently Boris has given, given them more information about a leak in Paris. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah, but, but then it's like, well, did that leaker, is that... Whoever the leak is in Paris, are they the ones who sent him on the mission in the first place? Because that's why he had all those suspicious questions about it. So, no, because remember, he didn't go on this mission on behalf of Paris. He went on this mission 
to help out Nordstrom. Yeah, what, okay, Paris wanted to know about the defector. So it feels like a turning yeah. eagle with the defector. Like, started the whole thing off. Paris wanted to know about that. Yeah. And Andre, and he didn't like, get... what's the deal? Yeah. Yeah. Devereux meets with uh, the defector Boris, mm-hmm. and Boris tells him about Topaz. Apparently, it's a code name for a group of Soviet moles in the French government. And yes. one of them, Henri Jarre, was Boris's direct contact. And he's an economist at NATO. And mm-hmm. the Americans are tell Devereux that if the Russians or Cubans find out what they know uh, about the missiles through a leak, the Russians will activate the missiles. So he's got to unco- you know, not give away what they know and also uncover yeah. this Topaz spy ring. Michelle and Francois Picard, if you remember them, that's... Um, from what seems like a while, like this is a long movie, but it was, I was very, I was, mm-hmm. my interest was kept through the whole movie. They pick up Devereaux at the airport and bring him to a party that's held by his friend. Jacques? Is it Jacques? Jacques the guy with the receiving Jacques. hairline? <laughs> yes. Jacques Granville. Also, Nicole, his separated wife, will also be at the party. That's so right. at the party, Jacques finds him and Devereaux wants his help. He said, set up a mm-hmm. private lunch with a bunch of his friends in, in the department. And, you know, gives a bunch of names. Oh, okay, these people have helped me in the past. Oh, I've helped in the past. They can help me. And then also include Henri Jarre, who yes. was accused as a tra- as being a mole. At the lunch, everyone is there, but Jarre is late. And they're there to give Devereaux advice before he meets the Board of Inquiry. And they're, like, telling him, you know, you've got to give us w- what's the information you found out in Cuba. And he's like, I can't mm-hmm. tell you, but. And because there might be leaks. And the whole time he's talking, he keeps looking over at Jari, trying to see if he's getting any reaction out of him. And he's get like Jari's giving him no reaction. So yeah, Jari's the one with the crutch, right? Yes, yes. So what's the deal with the crutch? Did they explain that? No, I just assumed it was like a war injury. So yeah, I liked that because it was like a character trait. And it, it helped you identify him from the other bunch of Frenchmen. Oh my god, it was brutal. It was just one <laughs> white guy in a suit after another one. How are you supposed to, and most of them don't even matter. Uh, yeah, so the crutch well, was very helpful. I didn't helpful bother with learning the rest of the names, except for Jare and Jacques. Yeah. And so he like he, he keeps watching him for reactions. He mentions the Topaz spiring, and mm-hmm. still no reaction. Then he reveals that they found out about the Topaz spiring from Boris Kusinov. And mm-hmm. that's when Jare has a reaction. Yes. And he claims that Kusinov has been dead for over a year. And so this whoever is act, trying to trying to pretend to be Kusinov must be a plant from the Soviets. And like, did you actually buy this? I was curious because I did think about it because it's like, you know, wh- that's a possibility. Like, the, how do you how do you know that it's actually him and it's not someone sent? Like every time you have a mole, there's got to be. That's why there's always interrogations afterwards. If you have someone well, sure. who's a double agent. Yeah, except didn't Kusinov point them towards the Cuba in the first place? And that True. all checked out. So True. this reminds me of playing Werewolf or Among Us. But <laughs> someone's like, I think you're the Soviet spy. And I'm like, oh, whoever told you that is obviously a spy. Even though I have no <laughs> evidence to back that up at all. Yeah. So after the lunch, Jare gets into a taxi and goes to an ap- apartment somewhere else in France or in Paris. Mm-hmm. And it, fi- it turns out it's Jacques' place. Yes. And he's a part of Topaz. Not only is he a part of Topaz, he's the head of Topaz. That's right. Shocking. But then it gets undermined because they have a conversation about what literally just happened. Yeah, which we won't need to get into. But while he's doing this, 
So Jacques is all dressed up. He's got an ascot on and like a very fancy mm. French dressing gown. He gives Jare some cognac. And I definitely thought he was trying to poison Jare. Did you think about oh, that? That would be way too exciting for this movie. I mean, it would have made sense. <laughs> Well, no. I thought about. I didn't. I didn't think he he's was like trying to that. rush him out, and he keeps saying, "I'm expecting a visitor, mm-hmm. so can you finish your cognac?" And so I was like, "Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, I'm waiting for him to down it and like be like, you know, all right, I'll down this, and then oh, I'm gonna die. That's definitely what I thought." <laughs> Talk about overstaying your welcome. He does finish it and leaves, and as he's leaving, we see who's in the car coming to see him, and it's Nicole. Oh my goodness. But actually, didn't they say that the three of them were like buddies in the they war? They did. Right. They said that so during the war. Totally come out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, but the way he's dressed and the fact that he says he's expecting company, I'm like, oh, I see where this is going. And also, they had a line about how for a long time they wondered who Nicole would marry if it would be Devereaux or if it'd be Jacques. She married yes. Devereaux. Mm-hmm. Don't they kiss at this part too? They do. Yeah. So it's, it's made clear that it's not just a friendly meeting. This is yeah. an affair. Well, is it an affair because she's separated? I don't know. Good question. Next, we go to Francois, Devereaux's son-in-law, is meeting with Jare. Like, oh, that's one of the things that was mentioned that in that meeting with Jacques and, J- and Jare was that he, you know, yeah. there was someone who was requesting an interview, and we t- it turns out that the interview is Francois. So he's interviewing Jare about NATO, about his position in NATO. He's doing a sketch while he interviews. Kind of, right. he starts to ask some prodding questions about what kind of, you know, sensitive files he has access to, mm-hmm. and really keeps going on at that. Like, all right, surely, you know, my readers are interested, you know, and you know, we can't make this article boring. Is it safe to say that you've had many top secret documents come across your desk? And he's like, I can't say that, and even if I could say that, you can't publish it. That's true. And finally, he drops the facade and says, "I'm here to." find out about a discrepancy. I have sources that told me that the Americans have Boris Kusinov as a defector. I also have sources that tell me that you say that Boris Kusinov has been dead over a year. So I want to know what's this discrepancy. And then he finally mm-hmm. reveals that Devereaux is his father-in-law. And yes. that the Americans have documents that Kusinov gave to them, Jare's you know, signature and initials and name all over them. So they know that those papers came from him and that Boris says that he's their their direct contact. If, you know, he gives Francois information, they'll give him time to disappear. And he's like, I'm sure there are many other places that would gladly accept you, hinting that he can just go to Russia. So is the idea that he works for the Soviets? as well the the son-in-law no no the idea is that he he is doing a favor for Devereaux trying to get information oh see that would have been a good twist that's what i thought was happening i did wonder about that like what's like Mm -hmm. why is he interviewing that what's going on here is he a part of yeah i was wondering about it and i wondered Mm -hmm. about it even more when we get to the next scene but as so he says you know what yeah, all right, I'll give you information, but I only will... So Jara says, I'll give you the information, but I only will talk to Devereaux. And, and so Francois calls Devereaux and, and tells him, all right, he's agreed. But as he is talking, the phone gets cut off. And also, as mm. the, he's on the phone call, two other men come into Jara's apartment. Yeah, and, I was a little disappointed about this part, but keep going, we'll get to it later. Okay, so Devereaux and his daughter, Michelle... Like mm-hmm. rush over to Jara's place. They find back in the days of when phone books actually listed addresses. Thank goodness they don't anymore. Right. So they were e- able to find the place, and they rush mm-hmm. over, and the place is empty. They find uh, 
Francois's sketchbook with a, with the sketch of Jare. I mm -hmm. just died. <laughs> Michelle is all yeah. like shocked, and this was I was this caught me because I'm like, oh my god, wow, they they killed him because she's so distraught because she sees outside the balcony there's a mm. there's a car with a body on top of it and the body's all bloody. And we right, all so think it could have been that, either of them. Yeah. Well, I didn't even think about Jari. I thought, oh god, oh, really? they killed. Yeah. No, I definitely just thought that they killed um, Francois. But they Which go down. Consistent with the theme of the spy getting other people killed. Yeah. Yeah. It Which is why I totally believed it. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. they go downstairs, and it's a twist. Yes. It's actually Jari, which I didn't see coming. Oh, I kind of did because really? I well. Because it had to be one of them, and I was like, who's more... So I missed the two men coming in because I think I was writing or something. I was like, who's more likely to get killed? The guy in the crutch or the guy who uh -oh. doesn't have the crutch? Well, so if you'd seen the two men coming in, would you have thought... Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's why. So yeah, we have no idea where uh, Francois is. So this is when I got suspicious of Francois. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, all right, was he in on it? Did he help kill him? Is Devro's son-in-law part of Topaz? Yeah. And so back at the house, Michelle and Devro see Nicole, and they're talking to her about what's going on. And then Andre, mm. or not Andre, uh, Francois stumbles in. He's bleeding a little bit, and so uh, Michelle, you know, gets some stuff to take care of him. Um, mm. But apparently, the bullet uh, barely like just grazed him. He said that someone hit him over the head as he was on the phone. And when he woke up, he was in a car between the backseat of a car between two men. They didn't know he was awake yet. So he like escaped, but they shot at him. So but, this story, yeah, this story is very convenient. Very right? convenient. Again, this is why I'm still suspicious of him. Yeah, you should be. You're right to be. But while he was doing, but th this, what he says next exonerates him mm -hmm. in my mind. Yes. So he heard them to ask, like, the men were talking about, all right, we need a number for a place. And it's Babylon mm -hmm. 8583. Apparently, French phone numbers, you have a letter and then, or at least at this time, and four numbers. Mm -hmm. And actually, that is consistent with at least what I remember of. In, there's a plot point in the Casino Royale novel where, mm -hmm. like, yeah, you have the area and then you have numbers after, like, a few numbers after that. So I guess that is, yeah, that's probably how the numbers worked at that time. Nice. But and so they're they're gonna uh, what Devro says I can figure out who that is I easily find out who it is and Nicole's like you don't need to I know exactly who it is it's Jacques Granville's house it's a little place you know over here that's this area in Paris and how do you know that Nicole oh wait they don't they never question it but you know <laughs> what hey Devro had his own thing going with yeah. Juanita so maybe he he's like you know what I don't have to question this. The, whatever phone numbers Nicole chooses, chooses to memorize is her business. <laughs> yeah. And then we get the newspaper uh, at the airport. The U mm -hmm. It says the U.S. is wearing new action as Cuba speeds buildup. Bombing of missile bases held a possibility. So this tells mm -hmm. us, all right, we're in the start of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And there's a U.S. plane that lands. And Nordstrom's on the plane with a bunch of other diplomats. That's... And Devereaux's there on the runway. Tells Nordstrom that Jacques was in charge of Topaz gives him the old photo with him, Nicole and Jacques says he's an old photo but you can use it to recognize him and there's a diplomatic meeting and Nordstrom and Jacques are both in that meeting and Nordstrom starts talking to these other officials, talks to the Americans who then Americans talk to the French 
and the French say that the Americans would prefer if Jacques was not in not present during the meeting. And then we get this like scene of another back to another airport and we get this like military brass band playing. Jacques is getting up going up the stairs to a plane and he waves mm-hmm. over to Devereaux, who's also getting on a different plane, but apparently close enough that they can see each other. Yeah, it's like the Umbrella Academy meme of Ellen Page going one direction and her <laughs> yeah. brother in the other direction. Yeah, yeah. Nicole sees him, and Nicole... So seemingly, they've patched things up, and maybe they're going back to the U.S. We don't really know where they're going, but seemingly yeah. they patched things up. Mm-hmm. And she's like, can't they do anything about this? And I think, like, well... Devereaux says, well, you know, he's he's smart. They don't have any actual evidence, so they can't do anything. But that's the end of the Topaz ring. And then we get... Yeah, a- that's a whole nice, convenient ending. And we get a newspaper which says, Cuban Missile Crisis Over. Khrushchev agrees to scrap bases. And this is on October 29th. And that's the end yeah. of the movie. Yeah, it's a big, nice, happy ending. Mm-hmm. That's not what I tune into Alfred Hitchcock for. <laughs> See... Not to question, you know, the greatest filmmaker of the 21st century or whatever. 20th. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been kind of cool if the, the newspapers are like build up, build up, build up. And then the end of the movie is like the Cuban Missile Crisis starts. So it's like, how much difference do they actually You know make? what? I would have actually liked that. I would say, yes. All right. This is one of the times where you rewriting the movie makes it a little better. <laughs> All the, the time, time. Makes it no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we go into our spy fact versus spy fiction? Please do. All right. So, as we mentioned at the top and throughout this whole thing, this was based on a novel which was based on real events. And now, uh, the real event, uh, the the ring wasn't called topaz; it was called sapphire, which was just uh, why they changed it to that. I don't know. Maybe top. Maybe uh, the author. Uh, what's his name? Leon Uris. Leon Uris was. Actually, you know, like saw Topaz sounds better than Sapphire. I don't know. But the interesting thing is, so the character of Devro is based on an actual former French intelligence liaison at the, uh, the French embassy uh, in D.C., Philippe Tirad de Vosjoli, who, well, a lot of this only didn't only became publicized when he did an ep- expose in Life magazine in 1968. And... Divos Jolly was a friend of Leon Uris, so that's how he got his information to tell write the book. Mm, but nice. interestingly enough, so that the Life magazine article that uh, Divos Jolly came out, wrote came out in 1968 after Leon Uris had already written his book Topaz in 1967. Uh, okay. So the book, yes. Yeah, so the book came out first, and then uh, Divos Jolly did his uh, expose, and I read the expose, which is interesting, and so. All the love triangle stuff, the multiple love triangles, all fictitious. Uh, that's no surprise. There was a defector on um, whose name was Anatoly Golitsyn, who was a major in the KGB. And mm. he and his wife and his child defected in, not in uh, Copenhagen, but in Helsinki, in Finland. Or Helsinki, rather. No, so, so okay. he defected with his wife and his daughter, um, was interviewed by David Murphy, the head of the CIA Soviet division. He passed on along information about the spiring in uh, NATO and in France. And okay, that was Sapphire? Yeah, that was a Sapphire ring. Okay. So Sapphire was in France and NATO? Yeah. He also, Galitzin later gave information, including the re- revelation of Kim Philby as a spy, one of the Cambridge Five spies, which mm-hmm. is this whole other thing. So that, So he had a huge impact on basically 
the events of the 1960s in terms of the intelligence. Right. Now, uh, what's his name? His name, who's it's like a ridiculous French name. Oh, Davis Jolly did go to Cuba, actually. Okay. So that whole thing. And okay. yes, it, he, um, he passed along information to McCone, who was uh, um, in the CIA. And although he said in his article, he said he, just, he wasn't sure that it actually did, you know, affect his the, the larger scale of the Cuban Missile Crisis. It did confirm things to McCone. So he had his own that was able to make his own decision. Now, as, as for what happened to this Divs Jolly, basically what did he what, do in Cuba? So he did. Yeah, he went to Cuba. He heard about surface to air missiles there. And mm. what he did was he actually so he sent he got reports from a former French intelligence officer or a former French officer who could tell the difference between various missiles. And so he got mm. he was able to like get that confirmation and send that information to McCone. So he did get called back to Paris. And he was asked for the names of all his contacts in Cuba. And also, he, wa- he was supposed to set up a network within the U.S. to spy on nuclear technology. Well, that's a big uh, ask. Right? Yeah. So he ended up defecting to the U.S. Because he didn't want to do this. And also, because the, the French didn't act on a bunch of his intelligence from the Martel case. And so this actually broke down U.S. and French intelligence sharing in 1964, and it wasn't for like three years. There was like no low no, no intelligence sharing within the U.S. Well, and France. Yeah, <laughs> and there's the whole thing like to do with uh, Kennedy was so like upset and alarmed by the the implications of French spy within NATO that he like wrote a ha- handwritten letter to Charles de Gaulle, head of mm. the French government at that time. But de Gaulle was basically didn't do anything with it. Anatoly Golitsyn also, who was the Russian spy or Russian defector, mm. you know after a while, get, got handed off from the head of the CIA's Soviet division on to James Jesus Angleton, who's the head of the counterintelligence, and who told him that there's a traitor in the CIA who is known only as Sasha, who I'm not sure if I recall, we've never really found out who Sasha so. was. Yeah. Okay. And then well, how, did fun, <laughs> how did they get Sapphire? How did they get Sapphire? Because uh, yeah. Gullitz, oh wait, you mean how did they end the ring? Yeah. Or great question. No, that's what I mean. A lot of other agency uh, countries and agencies did, you know, did stuff to try to find out who were who were the spies because of um, Golitsyn. But France apparently did very little with the information, and the only thing that happened was they arrested a guy named Georges Paquet. Uh, my pronunciation is terrible. Who was arrested on the suspicion of spying? and admitted to spying for the Russians since 1944. And he was one of the most senior officials at NATO. So, yeah, so they didn't really do much about it. Yeah. Well, that's not exactly what I would call blockbuster material, but whatever. (laughs) Which is why, obviously, Leon Uris created a lot more tension and added a lot more things into this. But my last fact about Anatoly Galitsyn is that his name was the inspiration for a character in the first Mission Impossible, Alexander Golitsyn, who is, I don't know if you remember this, but he's basically the person who they think in the very beginning is trying to steal the knocklist. And so he's the one that they think. Yes, I do. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. So I just like mm-hmm. that fact. Like anytime I, because I know that first Mission Impossible, as listeners will know, I'm a big fan of those, those films and that first one, especially. So anytime I hear yeah. the name Golitsyn, I think about not about Anatoly Golitsyn, yeah. the actual mole, but I think about Alexander Golitsyn, who is a traitor. 
probably a reference. So one other thing about Leon Uris, we've talked about him actually before. Oh, for his work. really? So we've ri- he's written a ton of books. And the ones I'm familiar with is Trinity, which is about okay. the 1918 Easter uprising. I think it's uh, the Easter uprising in Ireland. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So it's all about Ireland. And then the uh, other one is Exodus, which we talked about in the Red Sea Diving Resort episode. Oh, wow, look at that. So Leon Uris coming back. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so shall we go into our favorite quotes? I've got two. Okay, go ahead. I hope you didn't steal mine. Take it away. <laughs> well, one of them is from Nicole. It's when they're having the dinner, or after dinner. Okay. And he says, I'm going. You two secret agents can settle down and be secret agents. Yeah, that, that was a good one. And then my second one is from Francois. It went, it's when he makes his miraculous reappearance. And he says, to honest, I've been shot. Just a little. Oh, yeah. That was also on IMDb as one of the was <laughs> The two I have is, I think it's Nicole is like, but we're French. We're neutral in the Cold War, to which <laughs> says, no one is neutral. That's a good line. Yeah. And then the other one is one of those French guys in suits. I don't remember his name. He says, a man doesn't cut his own throat on principle. <laughs> good that's good mm-hmm. all right so shall we get to our ratings yes so as always our ratings are on a scale of one to ten martinis ten being an amazing wonderful greatest spy movie you've ever seen one being awful how would you rate topaz so as one of the like i would well this is my opinion one of the lesser known hitchcocks and one mm-hmm. that i really knew nothing about other than the fact that it had something to do with the cuban missile crisis i was very pleasantly surprised by it i mean it's it's a long movie and you're right, at sometimes it is slow, but I was very, you know, my attention was kept from for the most part. And I also, I very much appreciated that it was like a, a real world spying. It's not like, you know, I've seen North by Northwest and some of that stuff is almost mm-hmm. as crazy as some of the Bond movies where this is very much down to earth. There's like no crazy gadgets. There's no over the top stunts other than, you know, the guy jumping out the window at one point. So mm-hmm. I appreciate how down to earth it was and I appreciate the intrigue. So I'm going to give it a seven out of 10. Uh, as for me, I didn't like it that much. It was trying for realism, but it wasn't real, so that kind of hurt it. I know Hitchcock. It was kind of real. Well, it was like grounded, but it wasn't. Also, it also wasn't based on a true story, so it's like why not just? I mean, it was though. It was. It was, but it wasn't. Yeah, it was. It's, it's, a, it's that in between. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like the lack of like the a traditional three act structure was kind of hurt it, where it's like okay. why even. If you have a movie, because because it's not real, so it's like if you have a movie about the French spy ring and then have it be about the French spy ring and not all this Cuba stuff. But the you know fact I mean? is that it was actually real that he went to Cuba and then he also had that spy ring stuff that he had that, that had to do with. Oh, I understand that. But if the movie's about the French, then you can have him go to Cuba, but just spend less time on it. All right. All right. Okay. So well, I think, yeah. So I, I think I know... I know Hitchcock is capable of much better because I've seen a lot of his better movies. I'm glad you liked it. I didn't so much. I will give it a four out of 10. All right. Well, thank you for joining us uh, and for joining us on the first part of this 60, 60s Cold War spy series. Yes, we know what movies we're going to be recording. So here's a little preview for those of you who have stuck yeah. around this long. So <laughs> next time we're going to have Dr. No, the first James Bond movie. I'm excited. Yeah. It's sort of the first James Bond movie. Followed by Bridge of Spies, directed by Steven Spielberg. And then finally, X-Men First Class. It should be a fun ride. But yeah, thanks again for joining us. You can find us on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach.
And we are the SpyFi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.